Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, welcome, everyone, to another episode of EdTech Examined. I think we're going to cover some more AI stuff today. Uh, we have a few articles. Uh, maybe we can just do in a, I don't really have any tips, but maybe we'll just do a general update of what we're thinking about. I thought maybe we would take the opportunity to just have kind of a, I mean, we always have articles to talk about, which is good, but maybe just a more reflective, because we've covered AI for so long, maybe a more reflective episode. Now yeah. you, Chris, you were talking to me just before we started. Can we just talk about uh, some of the stuff you learned about how they're using, just informally, how they're using AI in the classroom? Like what, in terms of detection, because I found that really interesting detection and then how much detail people are going to require. Yeah. Well, and, and so like, obviously now it's, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if we should all almost change our podcast into an AI examine. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we're, all no, we're there'll be about. something else to cover. Oh. <laughs> this, this wave will pass. So, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting times, and uh, I mean, I I've been kind of following this for a while. We've been to now, I think, pretty much every episode that we've done this uh, this current year is you know something AI related. There's always something coming up, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's almost like every course now has become like an AI course, and so we have to go through and discuss some of these things, and uh, because uh, whether we accept it or not kids are using it. And um, so it's uh, having us rethink and uh, reevaluate our assessments. And so, um, you know, I'm, uh, I've been reflecting and working on that over the last little while and uh, attending sessions, reading things. And uh, some of the, the stuff like, you know, we talked about last uh, time there was, uh, there's, you know, for instance, turn it in. And they're very particular about how they word things as well. But uh, you know, that they can go and identify with like 90% accuracy, uh, certain passages they that may be generated by uh, generative AI and so on. And, um, you know, if you look at uh, chat GPT itself, they created GPT zero, but because of the way that you go and generate the prompts every time it's going to be something different. And so, uh, you know, one of the, the people that I, I came across, they actually said that pretty much you should operate on the fact that it's going to be undetectable, which in the future, I wouldn't be surprised like these AI, I don't know if we'll be able to distinguish whether it's AI generated or not. Uh, I mean, I think right now there is certain, um, you know, the way that it words things uh, using, I mean, we talked about this uh, a while back, but even I, I noticed like, it would go and use passive versus active voice. I think it's gotten better now with like 3.5 and like four. Uh, it's picking up on some of the nuance, um, you know, but it's, uh, I think we just need to kind of operate with that uh, reality that it may not be able to be detected. And so this creates a, a situation where we have to uh, now have those discussions with the students. And so, I mean, I've been uh, having these discussions, uh, you know, just talking about like the challenges, the problems, uh, the benefits, um, you know, some of the, uh, the social ethical implications and, um, you know, uh, and I even asked students like, put yourself in my shoes as an instructor, how would you go and 
uh, navigate this. And so I had one student actually mentioned that, uh, you know, you can just go and cite it. And I, by the way, uh, in, from a academic misconduct integrity standpoint, everything that we, in terms of, I would imagine, uh, at least the institutions that I'm involved with in terms of teaching, it does cover it right now because, uh, you know, if you copy from some source that you don't give credit to, that is academic misconduct. But so uh, I had one student mention that we can just cite it. And I'm like, okay, well, so we can cite it, but what is the issue when you just cite that? And uh, apparently APA and MLA now have uh, released ways of how you can go and cite it. But I don't think the citation is good enough because every time when you go and input whatever it is, it, it really depends on the prompt. It also depends on because of those language models and how they generate and, uh, you know, the actual output, it's yeah. going to change every single time. Right. And so yeah, there's so many variables. Kind of like, it's kind of like citing. I mean, in, in some ways there's a, there's a bit of crossover uh, as a librarian folks, I deal with citation a lot. I get a lot of questions about referencing and academic integrity in, in addition to information literacy, but that that's why, um, historically, I don't, I can't remember if it's on the most recent APA, but or any of the citation standards. Historically, if it's been a web resource because of things like silent edits and stuff like that, you always had to put an access date in case it changed. Though I agree with you, that's not really enough because it's it's even, you know, an AI generated uh, text prompt is even less replicable. You can't go and repeat it. So th that's one of the things I liked actually about, because I had a similar discussion in, in, a, in a classroom. And one of the things I liked about being AI, even though it is, it is chat GPT four with some limits. At least that's my understanding of it. We can talk yeah. about that because I haven't played with the fourth version yet. And I, I'd be kind of curious to know, I mean, I like to get access and play with it, but I've been using the Bing one just because it's like right there on edge. And so I've just been playing with it. I know it, it makes it really easy just to copy all the task, text and paste it somewhere else. So my thinking is, is that if it, it, you, yes, you'd have to generate the citation, but then like if it's a paper or a report or a presentation, you would want to have like an appendix or an addendum where you include either a screenshot or even better copy it. So it's editable text and, and place. So here's what it generated at the time, at the date that I did it with the citation. And then this is the final output. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, uh, that's exactly what, uh, after having this dialogue with my uh, class, uh, well, that's what we came to the conclusion. I mean, I already had that in mind. And so uh, basically what I'm going to be doing is uh, creating parameters and, uh, you know, criteria that they have to follow. Uh, but they will have to do a minimum of three prompts. They'll have to go and explain why they selected the prompt and formed the prompt accordingly. They'll have to go and evaluate whether the, the output from this AI writer, whether it was effective or ineffective and tie it back to our textbook and provide an explanation and reflect on it. And so, and uh, the, uh, you know, some of the readings and the even seminars that I've attended now, they were saying the same sort of thing. And so some of what, um, like this one um, course in the US uh, where the, the, the uh, professor actually made it mandatory to go and use a generative AI, uh, uh, he basically made the assignment so the the deliverables were way more detailed. So now instead of having something very basic, you could actually have a much more detailed, comprehensive 
uh, stuff, uh, just like what we talked about last, uh, you know, uh, episode where there was, um, you know, some, some professors where they went through it and they were able to generate within, even during the class time, having full on plans and, uh, you know, details. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think the other thing, if you think about it now, uh, it's something like if you think about like, especially Bing, I mean, we've never had this type of, uh, you know, access. I mean, you're talking about going and getting access to GPT-4 and paying, you know, the $20 US, which is like 27 or $29 Canadian. A million and so, dollars But Canadian. think about, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> Bing, Bing itself, it's available in 169 countries right now. And if you go into the creative mode or in the precise mode, it is using GPT-4. Oh, so, so okay. So I have a question about that. So we can, I was going to ask you later, but can we address it right now? Sure. So I'm using Bing AI, right? I use it all the time. Uh, so it must have some limits uh, with regard to, um, uh, you know, what it has access to. I mean, certainly this, given that this is a free tool, it doesn't have everything that the page at GPT-4 has. There's no way. Yeah, well, I mean, it operates differently. I mean, it, uh, I would describe these as tools just like any other tools. So, like, I mean, yeah, it's let's say if uh, yesterday actually it was funny. I was testing out um, the the facilities here at uh, Mount Royal because uh, I'm going to be presenting in that ideas lounge, and there was uh, some construction people there, and and uh, even construction people are getting interested in this open AI generative AI kind of stuff. So I was chatting with the gentleman there. And, uh, you know, we just started get, talking about like tools and he had his drill there and so on. And I'm like, well, you know, sometimes you might need to use that screwdriver. Other times, maybe you're going to go and use that drill. And it's the same kind of thing. So like in, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like with uh, Bing AI, the chat uh, bot that you have access to, it operates differently. Like you're, you only have the ability to put in 2000 characters. Okay. There's uh, only 20 prompts that you can do in one uh conversation and then you have to reset when you're paying for it it's uh, it's completely different where you can put in large sets of text although you know because now i've played around with it they say that you can put in twenty five thousand words you can't i tried i i just i took like you know uh, some uh, large writings of of mine and just put it into it it wasn't it was too long for it and so basically you have to go and work with the, the characters or words uh, it was, uh, well, they said words, that's how they're advertising okay. it. Right. And so, um, it, it does not allow you to do that. I, I thought I could go and take some of it. I just did it as an experiment. I just took some of my, uh, you know, reports and stuff, threw it in there to see if it could handle that much text and it wasn't able to. And so, uh, after investigating what it is, it's, uh, it's the amount of data that you're inputting in there that you can, and I forget, I think they were referring to it as tokens. So uh, anyways, but yeah, it's um, GPT-4 with the paid version of chat GPT. Uh, it uh, has two modes. You have the 3.5 and then you have four. And four, it takes a little bit longer. It's more detailed. It's more precise. The 3.5, it's just like what everybody else has access to for free, but it's faster and you can put in more text. 
So well, it's that's, not, that's, it's not connected to the internet. So it's not getting new stuff. Basically. No, no, it isn't connected to the internet. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the difference with the Bing AI. It is connected to the internet, but uh, again, uh, and this is where like, you know, they describe it as hallucinations or what have you. It's, it's more so, I mean, I don't want to get into all the technical aspects, but it's the way that the language models interact with and how they've been trained because it's making connections between concepts. And, uh, and again, every time it might go and make different connections and it's evolving, uh, over time, but, but yeah, in Bing, uh, you may, because it's free after a little while, you'll probably get blocked. I've even had situations. I, I, I was chatting with a friend of mine and, uh, you know, it's somebody that I respect. He's, he hasn't even tried and I'm um, like, you're missing out. You better go and experiment with this stuff. And uh, he got, I went in there and after a little while, it just totally blocked him uh, because uh, he's already, I don't know how Microsoft keeps track of this stuff, but uh, it wasn't allowing him more use. He had to wait. He had to wait like three hours or something. And so I uh, I've never been blocked from using Bing. I, I think it comes down to like, uh, you know, from a, a seniority or something. There's even been people like... A, uh, who have, uh, they can't even get access to it right away. So like, you know, uh, in my case, I was able to access it right away after signing up, but I just used, I just figured I'll take one of my old Outlook accounts and just register with that. Uh, but, uh, some of my students this semester, like they were on the wait list and they still didn't get access. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, that's why, like I say, from, a an equity standpoint, I mean, it's available in 169 countries right now. It's for free. You don't have to go and, um, you know, uh, pay for it, but there are limitations because it is for free. Actually, one thing in the last uh, week, week and a half that's happened uh, because there was ethical um, considerations that people were raising concerns. So OpenAI now has the ability, if you go, it's kind of, and this is big tech, they always do this kind of stuff, but in the bottom left corner, there's like these little three dots. You can go in there and you can select a toggle where it will not take whatever you put into OpenAI, ChatGPT, and save it. So it'll wipe it after 30 days. So that's a new privacy setting that they've brought out. Okay. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. I actually asked Bing while you were talking how to cite itself. <laughs> and what did it say? It says you can cite Bing AI uh, as a source in your paper by including the name Bing AI and the date of access. For example, Bing AI 2023. You can also include a screenshot of the response in the appendix of your paper if you wish. However, it is important to note that I am an AI and my responses are generated based on available information at the time of the query. It is always a good idea to verify the information with other sources before including it in your paper. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, uh, I mean, the fact that it's there, uh, and I think, I mean, that was a good point, like in terms of going and, you know, even thinking about it being undetectable, uh, because really at the end of it, it's a tool like any other tool. Like, I mean, think about it. It's akin to if we were doing like a personal interview, mm -hmm. you would be citing that personal interview. But the thing here is it's a little bit different is in the sense that there, this is a 
you know, algorithm that's going to output whatever. And at least we have the ability, we can actually just take a screenshot. So that's, I think that's the best way to go is just basically create this appendix, uh, embrace it. I mean, I think it could actually even, uh, you know, be very transformative, uh, both from a, you know, delivery, but also from a learning perspective. I mean, now imagine if you rethink your overall, like, you know, approach to, um, delivery uh i mean you could even give some homework where the the students are learning and having this conversation with the uh, ai writer they can come to class maybe a little bit more prepared i mean it's obviously there's social ethical implications i mean there's going to be certain industries that are completely going to get disrupted like i mean i could imagine uh imagine some of these like uh, tutor kind of businesses i mean now do you even need a tutor probably not i mean you could run it through. Uh, yeah you know, I don't, uh, maybe a research assistant. I, I think a, a tutor is a bit broader because that's like someone who teaches you. That's almost like an instructor, right? If you're yeah. struggling with a fun, you know, first principles understanding on a given topic. I don't think an, an AI is going to really, well, at least not right now, is not really going to like adjust to your, um, you know, your, your learning style. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, just in terms of leveraging this generative AI, uh, the, the, what I, I think the consensus that we can come to is we can now expect more from students. They can go and provide higher quality deliverables, uh, with less time. Uh, I think there's also an opportunity from an instructor educator standpoint, uh, you know, for having better pedagogy and less work because you can go and, you know, let's say, uh, you want to go and create example tests or questions, you could do that very quickly. You could go and have uh, the system generate a case study uh, and have multiple versions of these, right? And uh, hmm. and then obviously you're going to go and check it, uh, but it's a it's completely new world of uh, teaching for this. And I, I think we need to have those discussions with uh, people. But yeah, like some of the things like uh, in this one case with that uh, professor teaching entrepreneurship in the past, the way before, you know, prior to AI, they would basically come up with a theoretical product design, uh, create test prototype, and then write like a, an outline. But now you could actually create the product design. And so, uh, you know, it, it, you could actually have like fully uh, built apps, you could have marketing material, you could have custom graphics. I mean, it was, uh, it was interesting, like that presentation, every single one of the images were even AI generated. And so, uh, I mean, that, that totally changes things again there's ethical implications imagine if you're like a an artist because this is where i mean i would say we've discussed this before but this is the biggest case ever in the history of uh, mankind of asking for forgiveness instead of permission i mean uh, to go and access the amount of data without asking anybody and whether it's like you know these texts or artists um you know images or what have you and just put it all into this algorithm and call it a black box um yeah i mean it's uh, it's interesting times for sure yeah i mean it's i'm almost uh speechless at this point i really don't know what to say uh and you know to add to this other than yeah i, I don't know where it's going to go i i find it amazing i mean i think i think one of the issues um, you know, you, you raise some good points about like who's blocked, who has access. I think from an access 
perspective, like soft is probably, I mean, I don't know how many people are using Bing versus chat GPT. I would assume that chat GPT has more, maybe not. I, I honestly have no idea, but it's, it's right there in Microsoft edge. Like there's a button and it slides in from the side. Like you don't need to go to a website. You don't need to do anything. It's, it's built in very much like Siri is built in to yep. the Mac, right? In fact, I just saw that there's a, it's called Mac Bing. Someone made like a, a menu bar extension so you can get Bing AI on the Mac in the, in the menu bar. Without uh, downloading Edge? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably what they do is that it's like a wrapper for the website. Yeah. Well, uh, like the I, demonstration, I, even... I, like I saw this morning, so there was a... Uh, uh, I, I don't know exactly what program that they used, but it was uh, basically the text that was up on the screen. The Bing came in from the right side and the Bing uh, AI was actually taking all the text that was displayed and incorporating it as part of the prompt. So it was actually taking that text and, uh, you know, using that for going and looking up whatever uh, they were looking at at the time. So, but yeah, it's... Uh, Definitely interesting times for sure. It's incredible. I'm just super, I find it fascinating. I don't know where it's going to go. It's interesting to see some of the concern arise around it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in disagreement with some of that. Yeah. I, I well, understand and, uh, the concerns. You know, and I think we, uh, in our field anyways, from an education standpoint, I think our jobs are still there for the interim anyways like it's not like you know certain uh, areas where they're completely i mean uh, i just saw something uh, i think it was at amazon or i forget it was some or maybe it was ibm they are thinking of uh, using ai to basically replace like thousands of jobs right and so well yeah uh, they're I, pausing I from, on hiring before like they're gonna yeah. cons before they can make new hires i don't remember the source they said that they're gonna pause to see if it can be automated yeah. So, I mean, from our perspective, like, uh, you know, we should be doubling down on the, just building that knowledge and, um, uh, and, you know, will somebody will still have to go and help people develop that critical analysis, critical thinking standpoint. Um, you know, you're going to have to, um, uh, when you go and see the output, you have to be able to gauge whether it's correct or not. And which right now, I mean, you basically have to make the assumption that whatever you see is incorrect. And then you got to go and uh, see whether it is correct or not. Right. And, uh, and that's where I think it's powerful. Like, uh, you know, if you have teaching experience, um, you, you don't have to trust what it says, but it certainly gives you, a, especially, I don't know if you're, you're having writer's block, you could yeah. go and have it generate all sorts of things. Right. Um, uh, you could have, let's say you can go, you can't go and uh, figure out how to word this one paragraph. You could have run it through and it could give you some suggestions and maybe even give you like five different suggestions in one minute. And uh, so it certainly changes the whole dynamic that you have, but it, it's a tool just like any other tool. And so you got to treat it as such. And, um, you know, I think you have to be thoughtful about how you use the tool when it's appropriate. Um, I mean, it's probably similar calculate uh, or similar discussions were probably had when the calculator came into place. And so, uh, yeah. you know, 
uh, even I was having this conversation uh, uh, just yesterday. So, I mean, when I learned how accounting, uh, we didn't have, uh, we had to go and create like T accounts and other things. Now, like they talk about it, they just gloss over it because the software does it, uh, you know, in the background. Um, and again, I think there's, especially uh, for those um, in education, I think there's opportunity for going and, you know, doing the flipped classroom, having more of this, uh, where the activities uh, in class are uh, more hands-on and, uh, you know, where they get to go and experiment and do certain exercises and so on. Well, there's a great, I think it's, um, I'm just double checking the source. I believe it's the planet money podcast by NPR, which I listen to from time to time. Um, and they, I think it's, yeah, cause it's 2017. I just, I just, I just binged it actually. Uh, episode 606 spreadsheets. Um, I think it's yeah, 20 minutes. It basically talks about, um, how the spreadsheet changed accounting if I have the right episode. And, and so I, you make a good point with the calculator, but like the spreadsheets <laughs> they used to have these, you know, like, uh, like I, on my desk, for instance, I have like a mat, right? Like it's, it's like a, a fake leather blue as a reversible tan side, blue side. And it, it's like just a nice padded thing. So if I'm like, I can, it, it adds a little bit more friction to the desk. If I want to write on something, it's, a little bit more friction right it's not like writing on like a smooth surface behind a piece of paper and so they used to have paper spreadsheets like this like huge like with all the, the things and they would write it out and they'd have to like erase it just to move one thing over right and so they talked about the episode talked about how um how spreadsheets just made it you know an accountant or a bookkeeper could have so many more clients at the same time yep yeah, exactly. And so it's similar. It's similar in that regard. Perhaps this is ramping up, though. I'm I'm not sure that it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I yeah, I have a hard time gauging what the what the long term implica implications are. Like right now, like to me, it's like an auto generating Wikipedia. I mean, that's what I see it as. Yeah. I mean, it will also, you know, adjust for grammar and look for things. But Grammarly does that. So it's just, okay, so we've combined the tools into one. It gives sources. In my opinion, it just tends to give the easiest, you know, the first page of results totally. kind of consensus sources. It really doesn't allow you to dig deep. It's not, I mean, maybe if it connects to an academic database, but there's, you know, there's always things that are really tough to search. Uh, like that's yeah. my whole discipline, search and information organization, right? And so... There's something, I mean, that's why systematic reviews and scoping reviews and things like uh, evidence synthesis, where you look at a, you know, try to do a replicable search to find a bunch of studies. That's the only way to come to like a conclusion in medicine and stuff like that. Hopefully there's been multiple evidence syntheses done. It's very difficult to do those. I mean, the, the protocols, your plan, the search has to be replicable. It takes a lot of creativity to cast a wide enough net to find those resources but not cast it too wide that it becomes impossible for a research team to kind of go through with an inclusion exclusion criteria. So I just think of all those strategies and I'm, I'm sure AI will get better. Um, and maybe it would, you know, if it could bring back, uh, a search or get you started, but 
again, it's a far cry from the creativity that a person brings to it. Right. And to me, it's, it just allows a person to do a higher workload. I mean, I have a colleague of mine who has a family member who, you know, who said that, you know, the computer, when it was introduced, never saved them any time. It just raised the bar of what was expected. It just changed how many reports were required because it took, it took, you know, a third as long for each one because of word processing. Right. Yeah, totally. But it's, yeah, and that's where, like, I mean, uh, when I, uh, through all the literature watching, you know, attending these various seminars and, and so on, but yeah, like you have the potential to go and do way more higher quality output in a shorter period of time. And so again, we're just going to have to rethink what, uh, those assessments are going to look like and, and so on. But, uh, uh, I don't think right now we're still okay. Uh, uh, you know, somebody still has to go and uh, show people how to develop those critical analysis, critical thinking skills, the research skills. So if, is this legitimate or not? Uh, you're still going to have to go and do a lot of that, um, you know, written, uh, even verbal communication. I mean, that's one thing that I'm going to do this semester is uh, get students to go and present more. And it's going to be required uh, so that, uh, you know, because I think what's happened, I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong, but with the pandemic, it certainly hasn't helped where people aren't as used to going and having that interpersonal communication and they're not getting as they haven't had as many opportunities because of being online for two years. And so, um, you know, uh, that's some of what I've uh, been rejigging and, Luckily, uh, you know, spring semester, it's shorter semester, so we can experiment and try out things. So we're ready for the fall. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. Uh, it's a lot of work too. <laughs> so. it, it is a lot of work. By the way, is my audio still breaking up or does it sound okay? I think it's better now. Yeah. You know what I think it is? I think it's that Zoom automatically adjusts your microphone volume. Oh, okay. That's my hypothesis. All right. I mean, I have <laughs> you mentioned something. Though. Yeah. So you mentioned something of interest um, that, that ties exactly into an article I was just reading yesterday. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's a perfect segue. Mm -hmm. um, it's a source, but I have to have it in front of me. I can cite it in our show notes, but I don't know if it's on the web yet. So I actually get Wired Magazine delivered in print. Um, so I have to get, what I should do is I should just give you my login password and give you access so you can see it. So I'll oh, do that. Okay. In well, the shame meantime, on you for taking print. What are you, what are you doing? Killing all those trees? <laughs> oh, it's a renewable resource. There's no problem. What are you talking about? How much electricity do I have to use to, uh, to read it with the, uh, with the natural gas powered electricity grid? I mean, what difference does it make? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Imagine what we need is like a calculator to figure this out. Um, so one, one of the things that I, I've been interested in, uh, in general about you know, when I, when I think about all of the, um, all of the stuff that's happening with regard to AI and education, I, I'm kind of on the lookout for ways that it can be integrated more fully. So there's a, there's an article on Wired. I'll unfold this as I'm reading, a, like I'm reading a newspaper and it's called chat GPT has entered the classroom. So the AI chatbot has stoked fears of an educational apocalypse. I'm quoting here. Uh, some teachers see it as a sorely needed reboot. Um, and so it's by Pia Saris. And one of the things that's interesting about this, 
and I'll quote here from the article, is that there's some instructors who are um, kind of using this in, in kind of an innovative way. And I, I wanted to highlight this because there might be some people listening who, who could make use of it, right? Um, so uh, it says, I'll quote from this article. So it says, Alex Taylor, who teaches human-computer interaction at the City University of London, says the bot has prompted discussions with colleagues about the future of testing and assessment, to your point, Chris. Mm -hmm. In his view, uh, rot questions that can be answered by a chatbot don't prompt the kind of learning that he mistakes his student that he makes his student that makes his students better thinkers. Sometimes we've got got it back to front, he says. We're just like, how can we test the hell out of people to meet some level of performance or some metric? Whereas actually education should be about a much more expansive idea. So this is the interesting part. So Olya Kudina has integrated chat GPT into her courses at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands, where she teaches AI and ethics. And so, I mean, I've actually been to Delft, uh, TU Delft. I went there in 2018 to, to attend the Open Education Global Conference. I presented there. Beautiful campus. I got a great tour of their library and stuff. It's really, really a really cool place. One of the most interesting campuses I've ever been to. And said so in December, she gave her undergrads a debate-style assignment. Groups of students first presented three arguments and two counter-arguments, supported by academic references without AI assistance. Next, they fed the same assignment into either ChatGPT or its predecessor, ChatGPT3, and then compared the AI's arguments with their own. And the students were dazzled by how quickly the chatbot rendered information into fluid prose until they read it closely. The AI fudged facts. Some of its reasoning was circular and illogical. And when students asked the bot to back up an argument with citations that attributed work to the wrong authors, they concluded that simply copying from chat GPT wouldn't actually earn them a good grade. So it's interesting that, you know, it was actually by having them use it, it actually, they, they started to think more critically about um, its serious limitations, not to suggest that it's not impressive and it's not, it, it doesn't have things of value that we can kind of claw out of it, but that it's, it's not a panacea. It's not that clear. Um, but to me, this is, this person has leaned into this. Um, and now the students left with an understanding that, oh yeah, it's another useful tool exactly to your point. Right. So that it's, yeah. it seems a more effective way to deal with it in an education environment and from an ed tech perspective than trying to like ban it. Yeah. Well, and again, yeah, it's like the, what you're saying, like, we're going to have to have those conversations and rethink like, uh, but you know, for instance, my theory quiz that we had, it was great in terms of like being able to assess the students comprehension of the theory without us having uh, to go through everything, but now it, it kind of defeats the purpose. And so, you know, obviously we're going to have to rethink it. I mean, in the in-person class, I could have the the students, I could just go and go back to Scantron sheets and we could do it. Uh, but uh, everything's kind of been moving online uh, using our uh, learning management systems. And so uh, what I decided to do is just, I'm going to, I didn't scrap it. I'm going to basically allow the students to go and use it, uh, like do it but it's going to, the weighting is going to be way less. It's going to be 1% of their overall grade. Right. And so now if they want to go and, you know, cheat, they can, I'm, I'm going to allow them to do it many, as many times as they want as well. But uh, again, now it's just a, an exercise 
Uh, and, uh, you know, if they decide to run it through ChatGPT, you're basically just cheating yourself of the learning. So I, I thought maybe it would, this would be a good segue. Well, I mean, we have a few. So that's that's the first article. Did you want to talk about the I mean, I thought it would be best that you maybe discuss the next two just because you brought them to my attention. Did you want to talk a bit about the New Yorker article? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's uh, again, it's interesting times that we have. So uh, uh, right now, uh, what's happened is that um, the so-called godfather of AI, so Jeffrey Hinton, he has now left Google. And, uh, you know, it's a huge bombshell of an announcement that he's quitting Google. Um, you know, and uh, now uh, by doing so, he can actually talk a lot more freely about some of the the issues or the concerns that he has. And uh, he's basically the the gist of the, uh, what I've come across. Uh, and there's multiple articles to reporting on this now, but he's stunned by the capabilities of these new large language models like Jap uh, GPT-4. And uh, Hinton wants to go and raise the public awareness of the serious risks that he believes may accompany the technology. Uh, has uh, ushered in and he fears that these tools are capable of figuring out ways to manipulate or kill humans who aren't prepared for the the technology. Uh, he's suddenly uh, switched his views on whether these things are going to be more intelligent than us. I th uh, he says that they are very close to it now, and they'll probably be more uh, intelligent than us in the future. And so how do we survive this? And he's especially worried about how people might be able to harness the tools themselves uh, and, you know, uh, breathe life into uh, certain scales of like human experiences, elections, wars, and other things. So, um, yeah, so it's, uh, again, the, these are some of those social ethical kind of implications that uh, I think oftentimes when we're developing these new technologies, uh, we're not fully aware of those unintended consequences. So he just packed up and left packed up and left and now he's trying to bring some of the awareness to to people of what's happening so hmm. well that's interesting that's not exactly what i expected i don't know what i was expecting from that article to be honest <laughs> <laughs> i mean is this so this is did he sign the letter that uh, Elon Musk and a bunch of other people said around, you know, a six month pause and, and caution. I'm not sure if he signed the letter. Uh, so again, I haven't dug into too much on this, but, um, but it is, uh, I honestly, like, I mean, uh, Eric, I don't know how, how would you go and just pause everything altogether? Um, I mean, it's interesting, like even, um, uh, right now, like some of the other articles that have come out. Uh, so, you know, because open AI, it's so data hungry, uh, they mm -hmm. have, they're probably going to be facing, especially in the European union, uh, because they have their uh, legislation that's in place. They're probably going to be fined. And, uh, because it wasn't in compliance with the, the GDPR. Right. And so they're going to be fined. Who knows? Maybe they might even have to, uh, uh, there might be other kind of repercussions and stuff too, but, uh, and this is, I mean, it's, again, it's, uh, this is where I, I kind of wonder myself, like, how did it capture so much information? I think it's something like, um, cause I, 
mean, this is on the next, like a later topic that we're going to go through, but I believe it's something like 570 gigabytes of information is what created uh, GPT-3. So it literally scoured the entire internet and put it together. How much, how many gigabytes? 570. That's it? I thought it would be more than that. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess text doesn't. Not terabytes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was gigabytes. I guess that's double check. I mean, that is a lot of text. I have no idea. Yeah, because I think it's more text-based, right? But let me just double check because I, I actually did the test on this. Uh, so uh, where is it here? Anyways, but, uh, we can continue talking <laughs> about uh, some of the other stuff. But anything else that you wanted to touch on here? Well, this is in this is in contrast. I mean, so I mean, it's okay. So that we're kind of bouncing back and and forth here, which is interesting. But then you had this other article that was about this this professor from the University of Toronto, who's going to use it to develop, or he's he's teaching a course with it, or it's being taught with AI tools. I believe so. It's a, it's kind of a short little uh, thing, but uh, yeah, he's. He's in the past, uh, he's looked at uh, virtual reality technologies and other experiential learning. And so now he wants to use generative AI uh, and uh, use that throughout the course. It's interesting that he said, based on the late philosopher and U of T professor Marshall McLuhan, who has a famous quote, who says, the medium is the message. Uh, the course will provide an innovative context which uh, to investigate the potential for AI to enhance human agency. And so I guess that, I mean, it's all revolving around that. It's interesting to me that there's these two kind of dichotomous approaches to AI. There's, there's some people who have just are running away from it as fast as they can and putting out all the warnings, which is understandable. And then there's people who've totally leaned into it. I mean, I'm sure most people are kind of in the middle. I'm not, um, I, I'm not suggesting at all that, uh, you know, that, that there's, you know, everybody falls on one side or the other. I just find it interesting that there's such strong arguments uh, on each side regarding this. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm also more, I'm not so much surprised by people who are concerned about it. I'm more, I'm, I'm more surprised by how quickly some people started to lean into it. Yeah. Well, and uh, again, it's, um, I don't know, it was uh, fascinating. Like this morning, I was surprised uh, with all the uh, educators, um, you know, in the session that it was a uh, Put on by harvard but there's so many people that they've only you know if they have experimented they've only spent like a couple of hours on it so i mean i don't think that's enough to fully assess and uh, you know understand how to interact with this thing yeah i agree yeah just really interesting i'm just kind of surprised yeah, so by it's it. uh yeah it's 570 gigabytes of data representing 300 billion words so that's what uh, ChatGPT was trained on. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. I have a feeling I probably won't get to reading all that in my lifetime. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I guess the next uh, topic there uh, that we kind of had. Uh, so I came across this, um, and uh, it kind of ties in nicely. So the, uh, this, um, I came across UNESCO has put out, there's uh, a quick start guide for using chat GPT and other artificial intelligence in higher education. So they came up with this, uh, you know, document. There's also a course for it as well. And so uh, this course 
I'm actually making it uh, something that as an exercise that all the students will go through, but it's uh, uh, 35 minutes, roughly, I think 34 or something. Uh, you watch this video and then you can do a, a quiz afterwards and you, it'll generate a certificate. There's other videos on um, short ones, about four or five minutes uh, on how to open up uh, and create a, a chat, uh, an open AI chat GPT account, uh, how you can use it in terms of going and putting in the prompts and so on. So it's, uh, I think for people who are looking uh, to just get some idea of how to use the technology, but I, I, it was really interesting in terms of, uh, I think there's two things that I like in this, uh, this document. Uh, it's on page nine of the document, but the various roles that the generative AI can go and play. So, you know, so they created this nice little table in there of uh, it being maybe a possibility engine or a Socratic opponent, a collaboration coach, a guide on the side, personal tutor, co-designer, exploratorium, a study buddy, motivator, a dynamic assessor. And so, the, you know, they've put all these kind of descriptions and then they explained how you could do that by going and uh, you know, creating prompts using the the actual technology, and then beyond that, uh, looking at how you could the next figure. It's on page ten, figure three, the possible uses of ChatGPT in the research process. And so they have four categories that they've come up with uh, from research design, data collection, data analysis, and then writing up. And in fact, actually, I saw a video this morning. So I mean, I don't have access to this, but uh, you know, some some people have, uh, for instance, this one uh, tech, um, uh, very successful investor. Uh, his name's Jason Kalanis, uh, 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 and so uh, he has access to the most latest version of uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and so on. And uh, so they were showcasing some developer tools. And so they were able to throw up, upload a bunch of uh, code, and then it could use that to go and start doing things. And so I, I guess that's the next iteration, which we don't have access to yet, but where you can actually take a bunch of information, upload like spreadsheets and other things. Imagine, remember, uh, you were talking about an episode or two ago about uh, doing like, uh, you know, the coefficient, uh, you know, analysis and this and that <laughs> statistical analysis. Well, so you can do that. And in fact, uh, I I believe if you, I, I haven't played around with it enough, it, you could probably go and paste that just as text into GPT-4 and uh, it can start generating, you know, analyses, uh, maybe some charts and so on. So uh you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, you could probably literally create a research paper through there, and then you just go and you know massage it a bit. That's bananas. That's just incredible to me. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll include yeah. the link to this uh, quick start guide. Uh, we'll include the link to the course as well. It's free to enroll in. And uh, I think it'll be good just for people. I, I was chatting with people just yesterday, um, you know, uh, uh, just in terms of admin uh, staff. And I mean, they're curious and they want to go and try it out. And they're like, hey, can you, Chris, can you just run a session for us and show us how to use, uh, you know, Bing AI? And uh, so uh, I told them, well, why don't you just try it out? You probably have it installed because most universities have, uh, you know, PC environments. So I would imagine the edge is probably reinstalled, is it? In the university? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think as I mean, so just so I mean, this is I mean, this is a good segue. I mean, base. I don't know if we've covered it. I, I don't. I was listening to a previous episode, and I we talked about Bing, but I really didn't make it clear. So my tip for the week, and we can talk about this, is that you know you can sign up for Chat GPT and do this, but just try using Bing. Try to install Microsoft Edge, which is basically Chrome. Yeah. With a bunch of stuff. Now I've heard the privacy implications on Microsoft Edge are not as good uh, in terms of telemetry and where it sends information. So I, I, you know, I don't want, I'm sure it's, you know, it's probably not, it's probably not as good as Firefox or Safari, but it's, it's worth it to try. So you just log in with a Microsoft account. Uh, I don't know if you'll have to go on a waiting list. I signed up early on and I'm wondering if that's why I'm not getting booted from the number of responses yeah. and stuff like that, because I was an early adopter maybe, but you know, and so there's a, in the top, right. There's like a, there's a button in the side and basically you can think of it as it brings, uh, you know, a slightly altered version of chat GPT four, um, to, uh, the, the right side of your browser, which is pretty cool. And, uh, and so you can use this. I don't, did I already mention it? Did it, was it before we started recording or, or after? Did I mention the Bing Mac app? The Bing Mac app? Ma oh, the, the Mac the app. Bing, the Mac um, app. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, this was during, I think we were recording and you talked about somebody's created okay. like a, that's, uh, a widget or something. Yeah, it's probably like a wrapper. Yeah, exactly. It's for the menu bar. So that's another alternative. I, don't, I haven't tested it. But yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Like it's updated. So it's there. Bing chat. I mean, it's, I think there's also like Bing search in the web has always been there. Yeah. But the, um, yeah. That was the funny thing. And then you thing, just log in. I think Eric is uh, when I first uh, went and tried to sign up for, and like, so you on a Mac anyways, uh, and that's why I think it's probably going to be advantageous for uh, people who are uh, in the PC environment. Cause you already have it uh, ready to go. But um, mm -hmm. I, I could not access Bing without downloading edge. And the same thing goes for my phone, my iPhone. I had to download the Bing app. And so uh, so it felt a little bit strange and weird, but, uh, you know, it's okay. That's uh, literally the only thing I use it for is just to go and use the chatbot um, and uh, run things and experiment with it and so on. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and Bing is a good browser. I mean, or sorry, Edge is a good browser. I mean, it's weird for me to suggest it because Microsoft Edge was so terrible for so long and it was its own engine. And I think they just adopted Chrome basically. And they have a, they have a, you know, a customized version of Chrome. So all the Chrome extensions work. Um, so if you're a Chrome user, I presumably, I mean, this does everything that does, except it has a Microsoft skin on it basically. And, and an AI bot built into the side. I'm sure Google will respond by putting Google, Google Bard. Yeah to the side yeah and by the uh, way it just depends what you um, want to use you know it's uh even on that front too because like the people like from um you know all the different because uh, it isn't just these two like i mean we were and by the way we're not getting paid by microsoft or anything so uh, you know, <laughs> uh these are just the tools that are out there but there's uh there's others out there as well so i mean we have there is the chat gpt 3.5 uh what is available for for free there's four that you have to pay for uh, there's plugins that are being developed as well and so there's a bunch of developers that are using open ai chat gpt there's this bing ai 
then there's Google Bard, which is uh, probably considered like the one that's most hallucinating and coming up with the most false uh, type of uh, information. But then there's also another one. It's less popular, but it's called Anthropic Claude. And so that one's... Is it good? I haven't tried it yet, but uh, I, I wasn't even made aware of this until I, I attended this session this morning. But it was uh, it's the equivalent of GPT-3. Uh, but uh, the model, it, it feels uh, a little bit more sane and it's less popular. So um, Anthropic Claude is what it's called. And so, uh, but yeah, there, and conceivably there's going to be others that are going to come out. And, um, but yeah, it's uh, at the end of it, like, a, you know, I think you got to go and try it out, assess it for yourself. I mean, uh, at least it's uh, the one thing is, you can always go and close the browser. It's not like, you know, this is just a, it's just a technology, just like any other technology. And I think this is where you, without having that curiosity and, you know, playing around with it, because uh, initially, and I think that's what's going to happen. We'll see this probably. Uh, the prompts are going to get much more sophisticated. People are going to get more creative with it. I mean, I, I still find it baffling that there's actually jobs that are paying like 300 grand a year just for prompt engineering because it's like to me it seems like back when the search engines were uh, you know coming in it's like just basic semantic search and other things that we would learn uh, using library databases and uh, i think in this case now it's just a matter of what is the most detailed you know creative question that you could ask right and uh, you know yeah. Uh, again, I think it's a, like, imagine, I mean, I, I don't want to give people like students hints like this kind of stuff, but like they should figure it out for themselves. But uh, you can go by just putting in, in the prompt, like, let's say, uh, you know, there's certain fields, like we talked about, um, maybe there's, a, I don't know, maybe uh, something to do with like uh, neuroscience, you could put it in there and say that you're like, you know, put, uh, you're the most brilliant neuroscientist out there and you want to get an opinion on this type of uh, concept and you put together these points or an exercise or whatever, and it'll probably turn out something pretty decent. Right. But again, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I wouldn't be able to assess whether that uh, the output is correct or not. And so that's where, yeah. that's what I mean by like, you know, there people are going to have to have that deep knowledge and expertise on that field to be able to assess whether it's correct. And, uh, you know, uh, without having that base knowledge, you're not going to be able to go. And, um, I mean, you're basically just shooting in the dark and, uh, hoping that whatever is outputted is correct. But like you said, like the, uh, that's a good point. I mean, the, the thing about the students realizing that they might actually end up with an inferior grade, right. By using it as is. Yeah, it's possible. Um, and, and I think what, yeah, they could get an inferior grade and I think it, it's going to be like a lot of things. Like it depends which chat bot for the tool, right? Like, I think it's going to fork. So a lot of them are, are open AI powered, but then they, I don't, I'm not really sure how this works. Maybe they leverage different aspects of it for different purposes and they kind of customize its responses. There's a, there's an article that I'll throw in that's related to my tip from ZDNet, which is the best AI chatbots. And this is updated on the 12th of this month. So it's relatively recent. They actually rank Bing as the best overall, um, but they, they list some others. Like obviously ChatGPT is on there. They have one, um, 
that I haven't tried yet that, I, but I, I know someone who does that. They like it a lot. It's called Jasper. Okay. So this, this is a tip I got from somebody because they're in like marketing and communications. And so it's all focused on like concise writing. There's another one uh, that's kind of like that for writers, like content creation called Write Sonic. That's the one that I want to check out. Um, so, I mean, it's limited, right? Like it, this one doesn't do any math related stuff. It's not general. It, it's interesting in this article by ZDNet, they said that Google Bard was the best for writing assistance, which is too bad that we don't have access to it because I would like to test it for that. Yeah, and I, I, I hear like from what I've read, like it's really good for coding as well. Probably. So my guess is that Google is probably really good at the grammar because of all the machine learning that they do in Google Docs for suggestions and stuff, and probably good for coding because they're a software company. Yeah. Um, Bing is like a search engine, right? So they've prioritized it for search, but also creative responses. And it sounds like it, it, you said that it enacts the latest chat GBT, so for, but in creative or precision mode That's only. my understanding, uh, just from everything that I've read. Okay. So there, I think that middle one is 3.5. Uh, but the other two, the precise or the creative, the creative one is probably the most, but it's also, uh, keep in mind when you go in those modes, it also might be the most, uh, crazy wonky output as well. The, the possibility is there. <laughs> so, yeah. And especially given that, uh, you know, it's, uh, using GPT four plus accessing the internet. So, uh, the, um, the output could be, it, it could be really good as well, but it, it, it has the potential for being not so it as well so yeah i've used more precise i haven't used the creative one so much because i'm looking for sources typically yeah, but yeah exactly so but yeah those two and then i think the balanced is uh, that's basically like 3.5 i mean again in some cases and this is why like i i would say this is a tool just like any other tool in your toolkit and so some things i mean as we experiment and more technologies come out maybe some might be better for certain things versus others Right. And uh, actually, another tool that I uh, was made aware of from one of my former students, apparently it's become uh, really popular uh, amongst the uh, junior high, high school kids is uh, Quillbot. So Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T. And so uh, apparently Quillbot, it, it goes and paraphrases. It helps with, uh, you know, plagiarism, uh, oh, you know, uh, just uh, doing a lot of that. Uh, the writing and so on and writing essays. And so, uh, I don't know what the back end is. I haven't played with it, but I just quickly looked at the website. Uh, but it's, it's just like, yeah, it's interesting, fascinating times. And actually one thing that we were chatting about before this morning is, uh, it's also today, uh, or yesterday, I think this happened, but, um, now these technologies are making huge impacts with companies. And the first one that has now publicly acknowledged uh, was a uh, Chegg that it's, uh, and their stock went down. What was it? 30%. What is Chegg? I'm sorry. I'm ignorant here. You're the one who sent the uh, article this morning. Uh, remember that, that market oh, watch. Uh, so Chegg is that, uh, it's that educate ed tech, uh, startup where you can go and rent textbooks and, uh, you know, there's, uh, I think certain tutorials and stuff that you can get access to. And I sent yeah, this today. Pretty sure. Here, let me just no way i think you're working too hard eric what's going on here I, it's possible i have forgotten let's see where is it here yeah 30 percent down and so uh in there uh i believe it must have been like a quarterly report or something 
but uh, Chegg has uh, acknowledged how um, their expectations, yeah, so they were doing uh, shareholder expectations in the second quarter. Oh, right. I forgot about yeah. this article. You're a smart guy. <laughs> I don't, Good thing that you're here to tell me what's happening. I don't know if I'm smart, but I, I, uh, I've been known to be called the sponge, so I absorb a, absorb a bunch of information. It goes... Chris Sponge Hands. That's a great, that's the episode oh, title. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, isn't uh, that, uh, yeah. this is, so far we haven't seen this, but like now it's literally, it's impacted this company. Their stock has gone down. They were forecasting X amount of millions, like hundreds of millions of dollars. They were forecasting whatever, and it's, it's declined because what are students doing instead of using Chegg, which they had to pay for, they're using GPT for free or maybe, uh, you know, being for free. It's interesting to me too. Like it would be really cool to have, um, to have us challenge kind of how we view the, the traditional textbook. I mean, as you know, I worked in open education for a long time. Um, you know, Mount, at Mount Royal, we have a, we have a Pressbooks uh, installation with our hosting partner. So people can, you know, create their own OER textbooks, which is, which is, it was a great platform. It's interesting to me that if we're going to go digital with textbooks, I mean, I'm all in favor of having options so people can print it in an accessible way. I think it's good to have options. Yeah. It'd be interesting though, that if we rethink the textbook, at least in its digital format, is something that maybe has, uh, maybe more limited AI to brought in. Uh, and it's kind of like, I, I'm, I'm thinking of an example where you know, maybe you have an interactive section at the end of a textbook, a textbook chapter where there's a reflection exercise where you actually type it in to the, the book and then you get the chat to give you feedback in terms of style, brings back alternative ideas, you know, and maybe, maybe the, the prof can like feed it the things that it wants you to think about as well as generate unique answers. I mean, it would be interesting to have it. I like that idea of a Socratic opponent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, but see, these are things uh, you see why I say AT, like this is where the, uh, the creative elements come in. Cause uh, now uh, you're using this technology in a different way. Whereas I uh, probably sure. when people first start coming in, what are they doing? They just copy and paste the question right into the thing and then they're done. And they, you know, and right. as uh, as I've heard recently, C's get degrees, so that that might be good enough. Maybe somebody's not going to care about their GPA too much. And the, but yeah, I mean, again, um, I I just want to take it off the table. It's like when you, you know, let's say when we got to the the start of the pandemic, and you know, we started talking about this. But you know, when you everything is now online, you have to make it open book. If you don't then you're going to run into uh, uh, instances of academic misconduct. So now I don't know if it really helps having access to everything, but if you go and make it a level playing field and uh, maybe the expectations of what the responses are going to be is going to be that much higher, but uh, same goes for this type of uh, this technology. And uh, as you play around with it some more, I mean, I had a student yesterday actually uh, uh, tell me like, well, you know, you, you mentioned this thing about three prompts. How about if I come up with a huge mega prompt? So I just put in a, a lot of information at once. I'm like, Hey, that's fantastic. That's awesome. You're going to have to explain to me why you created yeah. a mega prompt and what made you do that. But again, uh, 
the technology is so new. I mean, uh, I would have never imagined, like our textbook is from 2020, Eric. Right, so our, our textbook is from 2020. The GPT, uh, you know, data set is from 2021. How did it get all that information from the textbook in into that uh, you know 570 gigabytes of worth of information? Right. I mean, these are things again, like from a, a ethical standpoint, copyright, other things that I, I wonder about. But anyways, uh, we're going to have to adapt. I mean, the the only certainty, uh, you know, once. Uh, Long ago, Benjamin Franklin, what did he say? There's uh, two certainties in life, death and taxes. Well, the third is change. And if you don't change, <laughs> you know, uh, you're not going to be able to do much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's here now. Um, we have to incorporate it. And yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm interested. We'll, we'll have to keep experimenting with it. I, I suspect we'll probably maybe focus on something else next time. And we'll kind of come back to this periodically. That's think, I think that's how this is going to progress. Well, that's what I I've been thinking all this time, but like every, every time there's something new that's happened. Actually on a side note, it's uh, I don't know if you saw the, this could be kind of unrelated, but uh, the UK banned uh, Microsoft's acquisition of Activision. Boo. Like, I don't even know, like, the, and even the reasons that they cited for it, it was interesting. Like, I mean, it, uh, I, maybe if you looked at like maybe the AI side or something, but like it, it made no sense. Like, okay, so, you know, and they were even, I think, going to uh, roll out and uh, take out um, Call of Duty, but they were basically citing how cloud, like X Cloud, so the Xbox Cloud uh, gaming platform, they're going to have uh, a monopoly over it. <laughs> so that was their reason apparently so uh, which happened they're like third place in the gaming industry they have no monopoly and then historically sony has had the monopoly in the in that they they i mean they, i have an xbox series x it's an excellent game system and i have game pass i was hoping that they would buy it so that i could get it on that because i already pay a monthly fee um they said they're not going to not, I mean, we, this isn't relevant at all to education technology, so I'll have to edit it out. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they even said they're like, oh, we'll, we'll sign an agreement with Sony, a 10 year agreement. Like we're not going to take uh, Call of Duty off the PlayStation. I mean, why would they, they would lose money. It would be crazy. That's like the best selling system. They want to make money from the software. Yeah. It's not a monopoly at all. It's like saying office is a monopoly. Cause it's only on windows, even though it's not, you know, right? the, like, the problem Eric is, and this is where like, it, it kind of gets back to like, when we talked about last this big tech backlash yeah. is what it well, is. Yeah. And, and you know, the, I think the biggest problem is that you have people, regulators, politicians, and they don't understand the technology. Right. And, and that, that's where, like, I mean, even, you know, like we talked about this last time, like, how do you regulate AI? I don't even know what, what, what would we put in place? I honestly, I can't even think of what those guardrails would be. And, uh, you know, how would you enforce things? It's uh, this technology is so new that you, I mean, obviously the, I think the big issue is like the fact uh, that they've been able to take all this information, scour the internet without anybody's permission. Like that's, that's definitely a problem and probably nobody's going to care after a little while because they're, they're going to be so fascinated with the results that are happening with, uh, you know, the productivity gains. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. I, I mean, I get it. I agree, but well, I mean, we'll see, we'll see. There's no productivity in the gaming industry. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> 
but that sounds like probably a good place to end uh for today we've covered a lot of ground i'm gonna get bing ai to whip up these podcast notes for me because i don't do that no more there you go perfect okay um, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so if anybody wants to get a hold of me, uh, you can visit my website. It's uh, Chris with a K, K-R-I-S-H-A-N-S, Hans.ca. Uh, uh, my contact information and socials are on there. And I'm Eric Christensen. And you can find everything about me at ericchristensen.net, E-R-I-K-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-S-E-N.net. It's been a pleasure, Chris. Well, I guess we'll chat again soon. Like always. Thanks. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. There, you'll find ways to subscribe, as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTech Examined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time.